A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Today's episode is sponsored by Clariant. Are you grappling with the rapid pace of regulatory and compliance changes in the printing ink industry? Do you want to know more about PFAS, supply chain transparency, and extended producer responsibility? Then check out episode 137 of The Chemical Show for a discussion into PTFE-free solutions with Clariant and Napum, where we share insights into challenges and solutions in a fast-changing printing inks world. Thanks. And now on to today's episode. Hi, welcome back to The Chemical Show. This is Victoria Meyer. Today, I am speaking with Tom Mead, who is the Chief Science Officer for AncoChem. Tom has over 30 years of experience in the ag sector, focusing on the discovery of novel crop protection chemistries. That is a tongue twister. He began his career at Mycogen, discovering insect-resistant traits, which he then broadened into leadership responsibilities, and small molecule discovery and other cool things when that company was acquired by Dow. Tom went to Anko in 2017 as part of the startup team, and we are going to be learning more about that today. Tom, welcome to The Chemical Show. Thank you, Victoria. Nice to be here. Glad to have you here. What's your origin story? What got you interested in agriculture, chemistry, and ultimately led you to where you are at Anko today? Yeah. No background in agriculture. I grew up in the, in suburban Southern California, just outside of Los Angeles and was math science geek and got exposure when I was in my mid teens to, to agriculture via a friend's brother who managed one of the big farms in the central Valley in California. And that was exciting and different enough for me to decide that was the path I wanted to take. So I did, I went to UC Davis undergraduate. And then UC Riverside, so two big ag schools in California. I studied, which is maybe a little interesting for some folks, uh, I studied entomology, insect science, but the connection was, uh, what I was really interested in was the chemical basis by which plants protect themselves from insects. Plants can't move, and so they've got to protect themselves, and they do it by a chemistry. So huh. I did a lot of chemistry, and then how that affects the insects, their susceptibility to disease. So that technical disease and biotechnology, all of which on my career arc led me to mycogen and then ultimately to Dow Agro. That's cool. And now you're at Anko. So can you tell us a little bit about Anko? Yeah. So Anko was founded by our CEO, Jacqueline Herbert, and a venture fund, Antara Capital, seeded the company in 2017. And the thesis was that there were drug discovery technologies that really were applicable to discovering drugs to protect people where we want to drugs to protect plants. And that's what we talked about, these crop health chemistries. 
there was a, a foundational technology that was being widely applied in drug discovery called the DNA encode chemical libraries or DELVs. And that was the start of the company was we had an active collaboration, actually the investors in the company, a company called XChem, who were leaders in the Dell field. Uh, so we worked with them and we started off by validating that we could use the technology to discover uh, chemistries for crop health herbicides specifically, so controlling weeds, successful in that. And that led to then continued uh, rounds of funding and expansion. So not only moving molecules down the pipeline towards commercialization, but expanding into completely new novel targets where there's no chemistry in the marketplace uh, and into other areas for protecting plants from disease and then from insects and finally parasitic worms. And we have a a small program really directed at uh, helping plants just increase their yield. That's our scope and that's our art. That's pretty cool. And I think most people, certainly those of us in the Western world, take our food supply chains for granted. I actually grew up part of the time on a small farm, small family farm. So I was around a lot of crops and crop protection, although I didn't necessarily understand it as being part of the broader chemical industry. Um, or even really what the agricultural companies really were in ag chemistry. But I think about it as an industry that's really transformed a lot through the years, right? So we hear about a lot of dif different new and novel and growing technologies and that chemistry really plays a key role in agriculture and food security and more. Can you just talk a little bit about the importance of that and the importance of crop protection as it relates to the global agricultural industry? Yeah, great question. You, know, you ask most people where their food comes from, and you know what the answer is, right? The grocery the store. The grocery store. Right, it comes from, right? And I think everyone realizes, okay, that's, that's the proximate, but ultimately it comes from a farm. And I think there's a, there is a growing awareness of where our food comes from and the impact of growing food on the environment. But it's important to realize that if we don't protect our crops from pests, or, or even today, but using solutions that are, are beginning to fade in terms of their effectiveness, I mean, it's easy to lose 20 to 40% of the yield that are already growing to these pests. It's really essential to being able to put food on the table of people around the world. The, the companies that do this are, are very focused on producing safe and effective products, but innovation is lagged and it takes... The, the industry standard is from the time uh, uh, that a molecule that becomes commercialized, from the time it is first synthesized and tested to the time it's commercialized is about 13 years. And that's, yeah, it's a long time. And that's actually, that's a slightly dated number. It's probably 15 or 16 years now because of yeah. uh, some changing requirements. That company, is that driven by... Just the corporate and the development timeline to, to testing, et cetera, or is this driven by FDA? I'm guessing a lot of this is either FDA or some other acronym is driving it. Yeah. USDA has a role to play, but what drives that timeline? Yeah, it's both. And the, the agency in the United States, the agency that's the lead for registering these crop protection chemistries is the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. There's consultation with the USDA and with the FDA and with the Fish and Wildlife Service. Yeah. But the process, there is a process and big companies have process and they're looking at both effectiveness and safety and cost effectiveness. So a lot of that drives the timing. 
what they don't take into account in that, call it 13 to 16 year time frame, they don't take into account, they don't publish numbers on the, uh, the time it takes to actually discover and synthesize that molecule mm-hmm. that becomes commercial. And that can be, it, we, we estimate from our experience and what we see in the literature, you know, five to eight years uh, of, wow. of work to get to that point. So yeah, big investment, long, long time, uh, yeah. which kind of, again, leads to this low innovation. Yeah. So what makes ANCO's approach to this different? Because I think you guys are trying to really shorten some of that development life cycle or time frame. Yes. Yeah, we are. The biggest impact is on the earlier end, but we are seeing and anticipate follow-on uh, benefits as we get into the more yeah. uh, guideline-driven types of work and success there. I mean, when you say guideline-driven. So for registration, there are hmm. specific guideline studies conducted under good uh, laboratory practice or GLP that the regulatory agencies require. So when you get to that point, your ability to save a lot of time or a lot of money is really restricted by the requirements. Because the, the, the process is still the process as it relates to the government and the data and the information they need to ensure efficacy and safety and all of that. Yeah, yeah so the opportunity space and, and the one we're very focused on is you know getting to that point, right? So doing that as quickly, as cost-effectively, but then also with a real focus on safety. So what we've done is built, we have built a platform that is exclusively target-based discovery. And that is a big difference from what the incumbent companies, the big major companies do. They what is, So what does that mean? Target-based discovery? What is yeah. that? So we actually look for chemistries that act at a specific molecular target. And so that allows us to focus on efficacy. So we use a systems approach to identify targets that we are confident if we find a chemistry that interacts at that target, that it will produce the desired effect. It will eliminate the weed, it'll eliminate the disease or the insect, but not the non-target animals, other insects. So crops, that's the difference, the way that it's done and why it takes so long, it costs a lot of money. Uh, for the big companies is they take what we would call a, a screening or phenotypic based approach. If they're looking for uh, a new herbicide, they synthesize a lot of chemistry and they spray it on weeds. Mm-hmm. And when something works, then they start to optimize that. And typically they would then try and figure out what the target is, but yeah. that most often that's well after you've got a chemistry and you're optimizing it and you're working it forward. That's a big difference. We start yeah. with the target and we only yeah. work on things that act at specific targets. Makes sense. And it, and it seems like it would be much more efficient, right? If you're going for a very specific end use or a specific target, you can eliminate a lot of extra work by focusing in. Yeah, absolutely right. You can't, yeah. but so the other piece, the key, so we say target-based discovery. So great. Yeah. It's not like that's necessarily new, right? But what is new is that we are using these, back to these DNA encoded chemical libraries or DELs, which are, they're produced, they're combinatorial chemistry libraries. So using the power of multiplication, so they can be very large and very diverse. And uh, the the breakthrough, and this was really realized in the, the mid-2000s, um, 
with next generation sequencing technologies, uh, every molecule that we screen has a DNA barcode attached to it. And so um, we conduct uh, a very large screen in terms of the number of molecules very quickly, very efficiently. So we screen in every experiment, uh, we screen uh, tens of billions of molecules, yeah, as wow. opposed to in that sort of standard industry approach, in a good year, you might screen 50,000 molecules. So the diversity we start with is huge. So I'm guessing this is where AI and machine learning starts to fit in. Is that right? Is that how you guys are getting to that place? Can you talk about that? Yeah, we started this company from a white sheet of paper. And when we did that, Jacqueline and I both having come from big established companies and having seen the difficulties in trying to assemble legacy data systems to talk to each other and get data all in one place, we said, no, we're not doing that. We're going to be a data company. And so we built our data systems from the ground up with the intent of, okay, they are all going to connect. They're all going to talk to each other. We're going to put data in the hands of scientists. And that includes the data from our DNA encoded library screens. So on a DNA encoded library screen, there's an experimental design. Um, we generate from every experiment, uh, we generate over a billion data points. So we've got, you know, tens of billions of molecules. Tom, that's a lot out of data. You know, we'd still be going through experiment number one. We probably wouldn't have got to a fraction of a percent if we were going to annually. So it's big and highly structured. I'm not a machine learning expert, but any machine learning expert will tell you that's what it takes to make great machine learning models. Yeah. So we use automated systems to process data, to get data quickly in the hands of scientists, but also get not just our scientists, our chemists who are looking at, at molecules and, and what came out of the, the DNA encoded library screen, and also to our data scientists who are building these machine learning models and making predictions. So at yeah. the end of the day, we access this huge chemical space. We, we have a very effective filter to get it down to a small number of really interesting things, but there are a small number of really diverse and really actionable chemistries. And we choose from among those what we work on. And that's the basis of our strategy. That's really interesting. In fact, we just wrapped up um, the Chemical Summit, which was a two-day event um, held here in the Woodlands. And one of the topics we talked a lot about was AI and digitization and how the opportunity for it to really transform the chemical industry in a variety of places, including in product development. And, and one of the challenges that everybody collectively identifies is the data structure and the organization. So you, you talk about your ability to start with a blank sheet of paper and do the mapping because the mapping of all this data that already exists is really hard, right? You've got to figure out what makes sense. Is it in the right format? How you bring it together? And so it sounds like you've really started with ENCO because you've had the ability to start from a blank sheet of paper starting at the ground level, getting the structures right, getting the data in the format that you need so that you can actually utilize it and accelerate it effectively. Yep, absolutely. And yeah. it sounds trivial. I, I listen to it, I go, yeah, well, anybody should be able to do that. It is not trivial. It yeah. is really complicated. 
And so that's a big investment space yeah. for us. So, and it's great. The other day, it is important too. So we can talk about that. Yeah. So what I was going to say is two things that you talk about that to me are really different than what I think the typical chemical company would talk about. It's number one, data scientists, right? So the whole idea of having data scientists in-house and as a core part of the development and discovery process is it's transforming, right? So I think this is where we're going in the industry, but we're not there yet. So that's one piece. And then the second piece is you're talking a lot about DNA. And that's not something I typically think of when I think about chemistry, um, whether it be mm -hmm. ag chem or other forms of chemistry. I'm used to carbon molecules and putting all the pieces together. I think this is different. Where does the chemistry fit in? How does the chemistry and the DNA fit together? I guess that's my question. It's because it's separate. Yep. And so that represents some challenges too. And we, we've got illustrations where we illustrate the size of a, of a typical small molecule, you know, the chemistry that we're working with compared to the DNA. And so you can visualize this very tiny molecule with a flexible linker and then this massive piece of DNA, the barcode uh, associated with it. Yeah. The screening we do is an affinity screen. We have a very high quality functional target. We incubate the protein target with the chemistry, we wash away the things that don't bind. And then we identify what binds by just sequencing the barcodes. So that's the DNA piece. When it comes to testing the molecule, we're not testing the molecule with the DNA. We're actually synthesizing then the things we're interested in without the DNA and to see if it's functional. It's a way of getting to chemistry. It yeah. is not integrated into the product. There's no DNA okay. barcode attached to what we're ultimately producing, but it's a very effective way. Again, we go from, I say, 140 billion or 25 billion, depending on the library molecules in the screen to yeah. we test 50. And mm. so that is a, a hugely effective filter and speaks to way we can access this chemical diversity. There's no way you can test a billion molecules and get yeah. to some number you can, that you can work with. Yeah. Are, and are you guys using third-party data? Is there public data sets that you're leveraging or are you having to create your, the data sets yourself? Or how does that work? Yeah, we use some third-party data in particularly when it comes to, we also, as part of our platforms that we branded our platform, it's called Encompass. And in Encompass, we've got these you know, DNA-encoded libraries, we've got all our target knowledge and biology, but we also use structural biology. So we do a lot. We solve proprietary structures, so proprietary chemistry with the target of interest. We use some public structures and build homology models. And this is another differentiation for us in that we start off programs because we know the target and we know how the molecule binds at the target. We use structure-based design for optimization straight away. And that is really the exception in the industry. More common in drug discovery, but not for agricultural chemistry. Is ANCO actually producing these pro crop protection chemistries then and putting them into the market? Or are you partnering with other companies to help them get new products to market faster? Yeah, the answer is both. We, so we're not given that long time frame. As I talked about earlier, we believe that we can get there a lot faster. Now, will we ultimately be able to speed up the registration, the regulatory process? 
maybe someday, but not today. Mm. But we're on the way. Our most advanced products, chemistries, are herbicide chemistries. And they are at the point where we, we're just approaching the point where you'd say we would do those guideline written studies. So the studies would actually be submitted for a registration. Yeah. So this is um, a really long bet for you guys. Yeah. I do say so. so. Have, this, is also, a, this is a long journey to get to. Of course, yeah. I've, I've spoken with a number of executives and leaders of, let's just call it green technology companies, new technology companies and new chemistry companies. And the one common theme is there is no such thing as an overnight success. Some of these, it takes years. Jennifer Holmgren from Lonza Tech, I had the opportunity to interview her about a year or so ago and 19 years before they really got to uh, critical commercial success. It, it yeah. takes a lot of fortitude and investment and trust and investment, uh, and, yes. and investment to get there. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So not only so we are on that path, but to that point, we've got ones that have been announced anyway. We've got the Roland collaborations with, with Crop Science, with Syngenta, with New Farm. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation led our Series B investment. Really, as we think about where the world population is growing and getting high-tech, modern technologies into the hands of, of growers who need them, that was their interest uh, yeah. in investing in us. So one of the things, when I think about ag chem broadly, is there has been innovations along the way. There's been products that have been introduced that we thought were awesome. And then there's backlash, right? So I think about Roundup would be maybe the most notable one, which seemed like a tremendously great solution. And now there's discoveries or concerns about side effects and other effects that have taken place. And obviously a lot of lawsuits that we don't need to discuss. And I don't really know enough about, and I'm not going to touch on it. But I think this whole aspect of safety, environmental safety, human safety is really critical. There's also this real big backlash against GMOs, right? Genetically modified, whatever the O is. And a lot of concern about GMOs in our food supply and non-GMOs. Where does ENCO fit into this mix of what's out there, what's been developing and where it's going. How do you guys look at that? The approach we take with targets, we can select targets and we select targets based on safety. And that can be the target is present in a plant, but it's not present in an animal. So hmm. there's some inherent safety there. We're also, I will say sophisticated scientists because we are, we, we look at structures and we look at how we can design safety. And we've been very successful where there are the same class of biochemical target in a weed and in, a, in an animal. We've been able to discover and design chemistry based on structural differences that we can say, this is why it works on a weed and it doesn't work on an animal. And we can build that level of safety in the ag ecosystem. The days of thinking, okay, there's one solution. And Roundup Ready Crops is a great, great example. They were commercialized in the mid-90s, a huge success, really revolutionized weed control. Weed control just became a no-brainer. You just you had a Roundup Ready crop and you sprayed glyphosate, you controlled all of your weeds. And so that reliance on a single technology, we know what happens. These biological mm. systems are complex. They're living systems. They respond. 
And how did they respond? Well, we started to develop resistance to, to glyphosate. And we see that in insecticides and we see that in fungicides. So the industry and growers globally, they understand this, that there is no silver bullet. Mm. We need to be looking at a combination of technologies and approaches. And we are very focused on that. We're not saying we are not the silver bullet. We are going to fit into these. And we're going to fit into the digitization uh, of agriculture, new application technologies. You know, we, we embrace all that. So it's that's an, us and that's our difference. I think to me, what, what it sounds like, it's just a more diverse set of solutions that can and will be applied in the future. And I guess to a certain degree, if you think about the ability to accelerate this development cycle, um, you have the opportunity to develop more and to have that diversity of systems and diversity of products because you've got the ability and the resources to be able to target not just one molecule, uh, but many. Yeah. And so we hope and are, and we're certainly engaged with regulatory agencies that they look at our approach and say, okay, that's a different way of doing things. Does that bring some benefits that we should give you credit for? And the credit being that we can get the solutions in the hands of growers faster. I'd say the other piece is, and this is important, this goes back to the Gates investment and thinking about where the population's growing and where the needs are globally, is if you've got this really expensive process, it takes a long time, then you have to have a market opportunity that'll pay back. Investors are investors and I invest in my 401k to make a return. And But if we shorten that, we decrease that investment and increase the success rate, which are all things in our remit, then we look forward to addressing some important but smaller opportunities, right? And so we decrease that financial hurt. So on a personal level, you've gone from leadership at a giant company, what I would say is a giant company, Dow, to leadership at a startup company. What are the similarities and differences that stand out for you? Okay, similarities are we're all trying to do the same, right? Everyone's trying to deliver a product into the marketplace. And along the same lines, I'd say the, the other similarity is there are really smart people who work in both big companies and small companies. Yeah. And they're almost all really motivated by the societal benefit that, that can be delivered. So yes, they are for-profit organizations. There's no question about that. Differences. Decision-making is much faster and much easier in a startup. It's a little more complicated now. We're not big by any stretch of the imagination. It's only two people. It's pretty easy. Now it's a few more. I'd say the other thing that's different is when you work for a big company, there's a way the big company does things. And everyone's very happy with the success in the big company. So change, because of that momentum, that inertia, change is difficult to, mm. to affect. And that is not the case here at Enco. Yeah, or in the startup world, it's all about chain. Yeah, I said that's part of your DNA. If we go back to the DNA, right? A DNA of a startup company is about change and fast learning and yep. making adjustments where it needs to be made. Yep, absolutely. So what advice do you offer people that are looking to make a similar switch? Because it seems that, one, I'll just say you're, you're at the later part of your career, but I think we see people across. I talk to a lot of people that are, relatively new, right? Or young, early in their career, because a lot of this development seems to be coming from universities. And so university offshoots and a lot of young individuals that really want to be in a more entrepreneurial, small company environment. But there's also people 
all across their career trajectory that are like, maybe this big company is not it. Maybe the opportunity is to go and, and jump in feet first with a smaller startup and more innovative, potentially, et cetera. What's the advice that you give people? Because I'm sure people come to you and say, um, should I do this? And how do you approach that? I've had a few of those discussions. Yeah, and it was very generous, but I am. This is, I think this is my last job. I am at that part, that place in my career. And to be perfectly honest with you, I wish I had made a move like this 10 years earlier. And that's what I tell, that's what I tell people. Uh, the big company experience is great. And big companies are great. You learn a lot. They're successful for good reason. Yeah. And so learning and taking those, the, the basis of those successes and then applying it as we applied here at Anco and to our, to our success. I think working for a big company, it's easy to feel there's a lot of security right? There's mm. career advancement within the company. It's a big company. There's some buffering and it's risky going to a startup. What if the startup folds and a lot of yeah. startups fold, to be clear. But I think what I've certainly found is that there are a lot of opportunities outside of the big companies. And if you're smart and flexible and um, have a drive, then you don't have to worry about it. The next job may not be in the town you're in right now, but you will find a great opportunity. So yeah. I encourage anyone who even thinks about it, just go do it. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I think the big companies, I spent a majority of my career with Shell and it was awesome. And the learning and the learnings I gained there, the experiences I've gained were tremendous working with a great group of people. But there's also, as they always talk about, the golden handcuffs. And it's hard to step away. But once yes. you do, an entirely new set of opportunities opens up and you realize, oh, wow, there is this whole big world out here that exists differently and effectively and successfully from the big companies. Absolutely. Yeah. 100% with you. Yeah. So Tom, what's next for you and Anka? What should we be looking forward to? We continue to, to grow our pipeline. So I've talked about herbicides, but we've got, we've got crop disease control well-developed and we expect to be taking molecules uh, forward very soon and then controlling insects. And it's a very exciting program that really got off the ground big way this year and is, it's accelerating fast. And then the technology platform, we, I think I mentioned at the beginning that we started with Xchem, but we have now integrated the screening into our own organization. So we have our own DNA to library screening platform. We continue to push the envelopes in terms of using machine learning models and integrating more and more data. So that will be, that's part of the next frontier for us. I think, yeah. uh, we, again, we continue to work on the early stuff, but using models and using big data to continue to optimize chemistry is uh, an exciting place for us. That's pretty cool. Is, so out of curiosity, are you, is there a plan or is there interest in licensing your platform or allowing others to utilize your platform? Or are you doing this really through, for Anko's benefit and through your partnerships? How does that work? Yeah, we don't have a contract research model. Uh, that's not us. We're working with partners, very strategic intentions, but our, our ultimate goal is to get products into the marketplace. And we'll do that longer term directly via Anco, or we will do it through partnerships. Yeah. Makes sense. Awesome. Well, Tom, thank you for this. I've enjoyed talking with you, learning more about you and this, and Anco and this whole crop protection space, which is um, buggy in its own way. So, uh, thanks, Victoria. Yeah. This was great. I enjoyed the conversation.
Absolutely. And thanks everyone for listening. Keep listening, keep following, keep sharing, and we will talk again soon. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.